Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amanda, you doing okay over there? I'm fine. What happened? You I spilled? took a really big gulp of my water and it came out my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. It resurfaced. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Which came is a- back up. Came back up, which is a link to our. I'm doing fine. My brain is firing. It's you're working. nailing it. Eh, eh, eh. To our very special gals pick topic this week, brought to you by us, and that topic is resurrection crimes. Hell yes. yes. So and who are we? Oh fuck it. I'm Kenyon. <laughs> I'm Lucy. <laughs> I'm Amanda. We're and my low blood sugar great. alarm is going off. But Amanda's I don't trust body it. body is beeping. I yeah. really want to be in bed. Right. I feel fine. I'm Lucy's good. doing great. <laughs> just, we'll, yeah, everybody at home, just fucking deal with it. We're going to lube up. We're going to get some booze in us. And we're going to be feeling great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Resurrection, yeah. We did this because of, you know, that old chestnut Easter. How we celebrate Easter. We're devout. Yeah, super devout. Resurrectionists. And I totally understand Easter and what Lent is. Yeah. And yeah, I give up meth for Lent every year. And mm-hmm. and Ash Wednesday makes the scariest sense, day of the year. Even mm-hmm. though nobody was burned, I don't think. I don't really know. It's like, an, know. it's like an anointing. Okay. It's an annoying anointing. It is. So nobody was burned at the stake. No. 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 I mean, there was a burning bush. And, the, and Lent, the 40 days. What I'm, I'm looking it up right now so I don't get it wrong. Ash Wednesday. Because Jesus was in the cave. For three days. Three days. Was his corpse in the cave? We'll get to the, we'll get to the crucifixion and the resurrection, obviously. Ash Wednesday, Um, officially known as the Day of Ashes, is a day of repentance when Christians confess their sins and profess their devotion to God. During a mass, a priest places ashes in the shape of a cross, acknowledging sin. It's also a time Catholics fast. Six-week Lenten period culminates with Easter when Christians believe Jesus died and was resurrected. This year, Ash Wednesday falls on March 2nd, which already happened. Lent is six weeks? I guess. Yeah. Lent is 40 days. The Catholics take everything too far. Yeah. But that's the repentance. Not how long Jesus was dead? No. Jesus was dead for three days. Okay. All right. Whatever. We'll get to it. But first, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for resurrection crimes? Well, you know, I Googled uh, fun Easter cocktails. Yep. Because what's better to go with your salted hams than a nice. Kick in the pants cocktail. Mm-hmm. And I did see, originally I saw a really fun one that's like a St. Germain spritz that I think, Kenyon, you would love. It's I do basically love Prosecco, St. Germain. Germain, sparkling water, ice, and cucumber. Oh, yeah. 
So good. But I didn't have all of the ingredients for that. I have St. Germain. Yes, I know. <laughs> my alarm going off. Sorry. <laughs> Feed yes. it, St. Germain. We're good. <laughs> I have St. Germain and I have uh, Prosecco, but I didn't have cucumber. So I really wanted to like make something that I had all of the ingredients for. So I instead, and I feel like this fits even better in like a blood of Christ type situation. Pickle juice? No. I made a blood orange Prosecco spritz. Yum. Yum. Yeah, Yeah, she's gorge. So I juiced a blood orange, saving one slice for garnish. And then I filled my tumbler with ice and filled it with Prosecco to about here. And then I topped it off with Grand Marnier, a little bit of like orange liqueur. Yum. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, a, a bloody taste or take on a mimosa. It's like a yeah. blood orange mimosa, but fresh juice with a little topper, a little float of that Grand Marnier. Sounds delicious. It's gorgeous too. Look how wow. pretty it turned out. Beautiful. Beautiful. Very so springy. pretty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I haven't tried it yet. I think it's gonna be good. It's not okay. gonna not be good. It's not gonna not be good. So cheers, everyone, cheers. and uh, let us pray. So no cheers. pop or crack today, but you'll survive. Nope. Mm. I know. I could have popped. And if the you sh- don't, may you come back. Yeah. <laughs> I could have popped the prosecco, but it. She really struggled with me. I'd had it in my fridge for a while, so I think. The cork just really settled in, mm-hmm. but it hadn't been opened yet. It has nice, it had nice fizz, so I'm thinking it's going to be delicious. Here we go. Okay, I'm amazing. <laughs> Fuck, that is so good. Nice. Incredible. Well done. Nice. All right, Lucy. She is risen. She <laughs> Praise be to me. Praise be to me. Her BAC has risen. Yes. <laughs> so, Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych there for better be psych. resurrection crimes? Uh, psych, well, you, you could interpret it as psych. Okay. Okay. So, resurrection is the rising from the dead of a divine or human being who still retains his own personhood or individuality, though the body may or may not be changed. So, mm-hmm. it's not reincarnation. It is not the same as reincarnation. The belief in the resurrection of the body is usually associated with Christianity because of the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. We'll get to it. Mm -hmm. But it also is associated with later Judaism, which provides basic ideas that were expanded in Christianity and Islam. There were several various religious beliefs in the resurrections of divine beings and also the immortality of the soul, but a literal raising from the dead in like a zombie fashion Mm -hmm. wasn't really a thing outside of the Bible. Got it. So the Old Testament talks a couple of times about righteous Israelites rising from the dead. And then we also have Jesus Christ. Mm. Superstar. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So I'll start off by saying I'm an atheist, but I was raised Catholic. So I still have an appreciation for the Bible and all those stories. I have like a personal background with Christianity, but I don't personally take biblical stories literally mm-hmm. and that includes the resurrection of jesus christ sorry sorry people i just don't sorry. believe it that's that's okay sorry no need it. to apologize to us everybody's I, got their own beliefs 
Yeah. I feel like there is just a lot of room for error in translations over time and in different cultures and contexts when it comes to stories from the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, But since the resurrection of Christ is the cornerstone of Christianity, I will suspend most of my disbelief for today. Anyone who believes that the Bible is the literal word of a divine being needs to attempt to translate like one poem. Yeah. From one language to another language. Needs mm-hmm. to take an entry-level Bible lit course. Or just like, yeah, it's like they're too, it's, it's been through too many iterations mm-hmm. for it to be a literal anything. Yeah. Yeah. She's a mess. We'll get to it also. <sighs> mm-hmm. I'm also going to note here that there were not a whole hell of a lot of credible sources for my notes when I you don't Googled say. resurrection of Jesus Christ or like scientific evidence for resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so my first source is from the Christian Broadcast Network or CBN. And if you are questioning how reliable this source is, you can call their 800 number and get <laughs> someone to pray for you. For the small fee of... That's mm-hmm. amazing. In three installments of... Several Should pop-ups asking like for right money. Now? No. Don't. Fine. <laughs> don't waste anyone's time. More money. <laughs> um, so the title of this article is Cold Case Investigator Turns to Science to Disprove Christ's Resurrection Gets Shocked by the Evidence. Oh, oh. wow. There's nothing clickbaity about this. I can't wait. <laughs> no. Cold hard fact. So the gist of this article is uh, there's a quote unquote cold case detective named Jay Warner Wallace. And I Googled him. His Wikipedia lists him as an American homicide detective and Christian apologist. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's not good to be an anything apologist, but a Christian apologist sounds particularly bad. Next level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he decides to use his skills to investigate claims about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I've pulled a couple gems from this article. Okay. And just just the language. It like honestly, the it do, I don't feel like it takes a lot of like critical thought to mm. identify an article that is biased mm-hmm. in any way. Like mm-hmm. it shouldn't. Like you see that pyramid of like news, like like reliable news sources. There's like right. left wing and right wing, and it's like, yeah, look at the language they use. Right. I don't know. I just I just hate it. Okay, so this article says for years some doubters clung to one theory that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, but was just nearly dead and revived later. I mean, probably. <laughs> well, that we mean, t- makes sense. I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know. I guess I, I just, don't really I just care. Either. Don't care. <laughs> Honestly, I don't we really have bigger either. fish to fry. It's no, like, I'm, I'm so much. I'm would with rather, you. Like, like bigger try. loaves and fishes to fry. We do. <laughs> and I'm allergic to fish, so yeah. I just it's not for me. No, this it's is this is rough territory for you. I get it. It's all right. It's okay. You're doing great. But we did take that Bible lit class in high school. Mm-hmm. And it was it was interesting. We I didn't get that much out of it. Okay, but there were not many atheists at, at our school. That's true. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of Christians whose minds were fucking blown. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> 
I just liked the. I, I mean, I liked Sophie's World. I liked the books we read. I liked The Alchemist. Barabbas. The Entertainment of the Christ. Barabbas. Yeah, but we talked about this theory also that he wasn't actually dead, and that the tomb he was laid in was like on a slight incline, so like the blood was going back to his brain as he laid there. Maybe. And like there was. Sure. A, I don't know. We went through this whole thing, and I thought it was interesting at the time, but like it, it's just kind of a no, whatever. Yeah. I just don't care. <laughs> I just don't care. Okay. Apologist Wallace points out that when you work with dead bodies all the time like he has and people in Christ's time did, you can definitely tell dead from nearly dead. Quote, as a homicide detective, I'm thinking, I've seen a lot of dead people and I know what dead people look like, he said, and then talked about something called the Mortis Triad. That hot blood's going to stop circulating. You're going to cool down. That's called alger mortis, he stated. You'll be cool to the touch. And we can actually judge time of death based on how cool. Yeah, but they couldn't in the year fucking... One? Zero or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, 33, whatever. Time of, time of death, for sure. You couldn't tell this. No, then, they, but. they didn't have a strong understanding. They could barely tell if you were dead or just in a coma in the 1800s. True. We'll, we'll get to he it. He goes on. This is something I've seen my entire career. There's a thing called rigor mortis. It's the second of the mortise triad. And you'll see that kind of stiffness. You won't be as flexible as you would if you were just unconscious. And Warner finds in the Gospel of John a key point of proof that Jesus wasn't faking it and that he really did die. A line about blood and water coming out of Jesus's body on the cross when a Roman soldier pierced him with a spear. He says, water will collect in your lungs. Now, if that happens, if you pierce that cavity, you will see a separation of blood and water. Of church and state. Okay, well, that's gross. But also, if you pierce someone with a spear and they're still alive, they're going to bleed a lot. And if you pierce them with a spear when they're like soups dead, like maybe some blood will come out, but they're not going to like actively bleed. I don't know why water would collect in your lungs if you weren't drowning. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Water will collect in your lungs. Maybe it wasn't water. Who the fuck knows? They didn't know anything. <laughs> Kenyon's so <laughs> mad about I'm sorry. it. I love We're going to get so many emails because, like, I can't. They didn't know anything. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> they thought everything was made of four humors. Foreskin. This was way before the four humors. Yeah. No, the four humors was, like, in ancient times and then carried through and then, like, really believed in in, like, medieval times. But oh, it okay. started in, like, fucking... Ancient Greece. I was thinking of medieval. Yeah. Either way, it doesn't matter. It struck Wallace powerfully that John wrote of this saying, quote from, well, no, this was Wallace, the apologist. He was either so clever that he included some little known biological fact that no one would discover for 1800 years, or he just reported what he saw. And as a result, we have a good, <laughs> I hate this so much. We have a good piece of hidden science that confirms that Jesus actually died of cardiac arrest and was dead at the point of the body being taken off the cross. I okay. We'll get to it. I put my feelings at the end of this, but okay. Just for um, clarification about who took him off the cross and and whatnot, mostly for Kenyon's sake. 
So this is from the BBC slash the Bible slash John 1938 through 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, uh, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate, Pontius Pilate, Pilates, to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilates gave him permission, so he came and removed the body. I can't with Pilates. Before his next session. (laughs) (laughs) On his water break. Oh, God. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds. Did they measure in pounds? Nick. Yeah, seriously. Thanks for all. What am I I supposed to do with the myrrh and the aloe? (laughs) Oh, it's not edible? (laughs) Okay. A hundred pounds. How Why is far the Bible did you talking this? about a hundred pounds? Yeah. They definitely measure didn't measure. pounds? Yeah, exactly. Okay. They took the body of Jesus <laughs> and wrapped it in the spices and linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So that's from the Bible, allegedly. Back to this dubious CBN article. The apologist says, There were a hundred and some pounds of encasement of aromatic spices and gumming of cement consistency around his body, wrapped tightly in three separate linen cloths, weighing about 117 pounds. Okay. So they like... It crushed him? Like, like, created goo and wrapped him up in goo and, like, swaddled him and embalmed him? Apparently, yes. I oh, don't okay. understand. <sighs> Gross. Okay. So Christ was encased in that and it becomes hardened. Second, how would he be able to move in such a state like that uh, uh, after two ton stone? Sure. Because there was a big rock in the way. of Covering the, the door. The, yeah, right. covering the door. Whatever. Because he was ripped. He was fucking so swole, dude. (laughs) Fucking swole as fall. (laughs) Another theory is that some of his disciples, like, came and stole his body out of the tomb. But the tomb was being guarded by, like, 16 soldiers. Why? And the apologist says, well, any investigator knows that the more people involved in a conspiracy, the higher the chance someone will spill the beans. So that's not likely. And that because Jesus showed up in front of 500 people later, they couldn't all have been hallucinating. Yes, they could. Mass hysteria actually is more likely that they were all hallucinating together. (laughs) How do they all know what the fuck he looked like for sure? Somebody said, hey, look. There's Jesus. It's Jesus. And nobody, yeah, they didn't fucking know. Oh, my God. I'm so, sorry. I'm so I, sorry. I can't be. I personally think it is absurd to assume that there are reliable eyewitness testimony to be found mm. in the Bible. We don't or shouldn't trust eyewitness testimony in modern court cases today. Yeah. We barely do. Like, the the the... The psychology behind just the, assuming that there's rock hard evidence because it says it in the Bible, this eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's completely absurd. That was written yeah. by multiple people 300 to 600 years later. Yeah, multiple times. It's so, like a, a giant game of telephone, my, misogynistic telephone. My next sentence The New <laughs> Testament was likely not written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John mm-hmm. about their first hand accounts. John, Paul, George, Ringo. 
Mm -hmm. This is from history.com. For more than a century, scholars have generally agreed that the Gospels, like many of the books of the New Testament, were not actually written by the people to whom they are attributed. Mm -hmm. In fact, it seems clear that the stories that form the basis of Christianity were first communicated orally and passed down from generation to generation before they were collected and written down. God knows I exaggerate. Mm-hmm. Like, I can only imagine what generations of bored people across a huge geographical swath would right. manage Who, to come up with. Mm-hmm. Right. Who, like, are clinging to answers for anything because science doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And zombie Jesus, frankly, just makes for a better story. Yeah. Well, it makes him sound more special. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that really differentiates him from a th- million a other every other every other holy people yeah holy God person miracle holy worker. person yep yep because that 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 like imagery not just the, not the zombie jesus imagery but like the the person of god the whole the conduit like the holy figure that transcends like every culture yeah that exists yep. everywhere yep this is just a different version of the same shit that we have been worshiping. There and are already tons of stories. Yeah, of, building community around for fucking millennia. Mm-hmm. There were tons of stories of of a god, you know, impregnating a human woman and giving birth to a demigod. Like that's it's in mm-hmm. dozens of other religions. Yeah. It's yeah, like it's not fucking everywhere. It's not original. It's not special. Yeah, you're not special, Jesus. Mm-mm. <laughs> Where do the eggs so and the emails. bunnies come in? Yeah, get to the eggs. That has nothing to do with resurrection. I know, but I genuinely do not know where the fuck that came from. Well, I didn't research that for resurrection I'm crimes. Okay. I'm so sorry. Well, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so speaking of Jesus Christ's resurrection, you may have heard about the Shroud of Turin, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. the Holy Shroud. So this is from Wikipedia. This is a length of linen cloth bearing the negative image of a man. I have some photos on the drive of it because I forget how cool looking it is. It looks like tie-dye, like an eye cat pattern. Also, while you're looking at the drive, this says, quote, early Christians in Mesopotamia dyed eggs in the period after Easter. The practice was adopted by the Orthodox churches, and from there it spread into Western Europe. Eggs represent new life and rebirth, and it's thought that this ancient custom was absorbed into Easter celebrations. Okay, that's pretty cool. What about the rabbit? The rabbit. I don't know. That's Hallmark, probably. I think that's just a springtime thing. Where did the Easter bunny come from? They're just there's the lots North of, Pole. Lots of rabbits in the spring because they're fucking. Like According rabbits. to some sources, the <laughs> Easter bunny first arrived in America in the 1700s with German immigrants who settled in Pennsylvania and transported their tradition of an egg laying hare called Osterhaus or Osterhaus. <laughs> their children made nests in which this creature could lay its colored eggs. Of the, course, it's German. The Germans. Are come up with all of the like weird but catchy I know. holiday traditions. Like Christmas tree. Krampus. Yeah. yeah. I'm here yeah. for it. God bless the Germans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pennsylvania Dutch mm-hmm. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, back to the Shroud of Turin. Some describe the image as depicting Jesus of Nazareth and believe the fabric is the burial shroud in which he was wrapped after crucifixion. I gotta say... It still has his makeup on it. It does I mean, look like a face. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that it's a face, but how many fucking people were crucified like right. throughout history? Mm-hmm. Come right. on. 
mm-hmm. they probably all had long hair and a beard because they yeah. were in prison for God knows how long before they were strapped up. Or there. not even just crucified, but just dead yeah. and wrapped in a shroud. Literally right. everyone. Mm-hmm. Also, this guy looks way older than 33. Yeah, I know that life was rough back then, but... <laughs> but he's like... At least in his mid sixties. This rough, I have I have Q's and y'all do not have A's. Well, <laughs> there are no A's because exactly. this shroud was first mentioned in 1354. It was denounced in 1389 by the local bishop of Troyes as a fake. Currently, the Catholic Church neither formally endorses nor rejects the shroud, and in 2013, Pope Francis referred to it as an icon of a man scourged and crucified. Thanks for being specific. Right. It's mm-hmm. someone who there probably are did this. Just a lot of holy relics out there. And I encourage everyone to check out what is it? Like Medieval Peasant? What's his thing on TikTok? That guy. Oh, the guy with the hats? Yes. I love him. There's oh, an amazing good. TikTok account of this guy who loves hats and tassels and cosplays as a medieval peasant. Mm-hmm. And it's. <laughs> It's, Incredible. Was that the one you relics. the yep. other day? And he's like, ooh, new um, new batch of relics. This is new why batch. I became a nun. Yes. yes. <laughs> he's so great. He's I funny. love Just him. holding bones. Like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> Are these ligaments? Oh, it's twine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's so great. There's just a ton of relics out there. Shards so, of yeah. Jesus's boxers mm-hmm. or like yeah, yeah. Bre- yeah he yeah, was yeah. a brief Faint guy so and so toenail Ugh. yeah so this shroud- there better be relics of all of the toenails I have lost throughout my lifetime Th- they're in your couch <laughs> probably <laughs> they're deep in your carpet <laughs> <laughs> the shroud has been kept in the royal chapel of the cathedral of Turin in northern Italy since 1578 so that's how it gets its name in 1988, radiocarbon dating established that the shroud was actually from the Middle Ages between the years 1260 and 1390. All oh. hypotheses put forward to challenge the radiocarbon dating have been scientifically refuted. What? Womp, womp. It's not Jesus. It's just not. It's pretty, though. I like the pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's spooky. It's very creepy. So I just like to finish us out with a little a prayer nope little <laughs> little little night, nar- nightmare fuel fuel for you guys oh god okay so it's 2022 now why can't we resurrect people with technology yet yeah that's a good damn question so this is from a bigthink.com article from 2020 alexei churchin um sorry Alexei transhumanist researcher from Moscow believes Life extensionist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Believes artificial intelligence will eventually become so powerful that humans will be able to download themselves. Yeah, this is what I want. I want it's a what San San Bernardino whatever that episode of fucking Black Mirror. Oh god, I don't know. Black Mirror freaks me out too much. All the episodes so sort of run together if I'm being honest. Okay, so they Give can it a rewatch. download themselves or at least the quantifiable information. Send you to Pero. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> the quantifiable information contained in their brains into computers and live forever. It will take a long time to develop that technology, anywhere from 100 to 600 years, according to Turchin. The development. He says, I want why, it now. Why, why, why invent that number? This technology <laughs> will take. 
Between 100 and 600 years. I think he's just looking at the... He's looking at the exponential abilities of AI year to year. And estimating what it it would take. Because they don't know what the fuck that would take at this point. Mm -hmm. It's too far out of our... Imagine what technology existed 600 years ago. Right. So he's probably basing it off of like the growth since the technological age kind of started. That we've experienced. So he says the development of AI is going rather fast, but we are still far away from being able to download a human into a computer. If we want to do it with a good probability of success, then you can count on the year 2600 to be sure. Well, I'll look forward to that. Yep. I'm going to get cryogenically frozen so that I can be downloaded. Continue. Walt Disney. I don't want to be downloaded. Just fucking let me die. Am I that special? No. No. I I got I got to (laughs) go. Imagine the software updates. Absolutely that special. All the pop ups you'd have to deal with. (laughs) All the pop ups. I don't think it would be like that. (laughs) I just. No All thing. the ads. The no, ads. On I don't want to deal bars. with the pop ups. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. Native no. advertising. No. no. Uh uh-uh. uh. The pop ups. No. You know I get attacked. The software updates. <laughs> but how would you know that a downloaded copy of yourself really was going to be you? Mm-hmm. Could it just be a convincing yet incomplete and fundamentally distinct representation of your brain? Mm-hmm. Fine by me. If I don't know, I don't give a fuck. But you would be that. Fine. If like you believe you that you're, if you, you believe, there would just be a copy of you that would be that. Mm-hmm. That's we're, fine. we're getting into it, guys. We're getting into it. Mm-hmm. If you believe that your copy is not you, that implies that you believe there's something more to your identity than the currently quantifiable information contained within your brain and body, according to the researchers. In other words, you, your informational identity does not constitute your true identity. So this in is, this, oh, sorry. I, I, got just, a, I got a ways to go. It well, gets scarier. This just reminds me of that show. There's a show on, I think, Apple TV called Severance. Have you guys seen it? It's with Adam mm-hmm. Scott. I have I not have had Apple any TV. patience for Apple TV. <laughs> oh, well, it's good. It's mm-hmm. ba- The concept is basically, and I'm not giving anything away, but the concept is that like people work at this big company and they can volunteer or like choose to have their brain like severed basically. Mm. And so when they're at work, like Monday through Friday, you know, 9am to 5pm, they have just like a work consciousness and they have no access to their outside consciousness. And then when they leave work at 5pm, they have no access to their work consciousness. Kind of like that. Well, I don't. Th- there are implications, but anyway, <laughs> it's really like good. It would make me more productive. Tell and they you ca- what. I know. And they call them their like innies and outies. So when they're like at work, they talk about they are the innies, huh? And they like wonder what their outies are like. Oh, weird. My God. I don't yeah, think I so like they're that. aware that there are two different versions of themselves, but they have no clue what the other version is like. How would yeah. you form relationships? How would you get married? You well, your Audi can get married, but your innie can't, and your innie doesn't know if you're married or not. Your innie doesn't know if your Audi has kids or not. What if your innie falls in love with someone at work? It could happen. Is this part of a plot line? Maybe it could. I need to watch this maybe show. definitely. Oh. It's really good. Adam <laughs> and Scott's is that even it. cheating? John Turturro's in it. Christopher Walken. I do love Adam Scott. Okay, I might look into this. Yeah. Okay. 
Might need your lie again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so in this scenario, not the any outies scenario, the informational identity scenario, there must exist what the researchers call a non-informational identity carrier or an NIIC. This could be something like a soul. It could be what's called qualia, a new word. It's a real word. So qualia are the unmeasurable subjective experiences which could be unique to every person. Qualia. This, this sounds like Creed like trying to remember what he does for the office. Yeah. Quality. Quality assurance. No, that's not right. Qualia. Quality. It's also possible that qualia does not exist at all, but it doesn't really matter. Researchers say resurrection in some form should be possible in either scenario. So if no soul exists, resurrection is possible via information preservation. So just the standard, just your basic uploading or quantifiable information to a computer. Right. Mm -hmm. If souls do exist, resurrection is possible via returning of the soul into the new body. But some forms of NIIC are also very fragile and mortal, like continuity, the researchers noted. The problem of the nature of human identity could be solved by future superintelligent AI, but for now it cannot be definitively solved. This means that we should try to preserve as much identity as possible and not refuse any approaches to life extension and resurrection, even if they contradict our intuitions about identity as our notions of identity could change later. Because they're talking about hundreds thousands of years down the road assuming I mean, humans last that long yeah like the question of if a soul exists is a pretty big one mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like yeah but in the future we might have an answer to that based on technology making it possible to live forever right transfer the soul into different vessels mm-hmm if if it exists. That's cool. So the main idea of a resurrection simulation is that if one takes the DNA of a past person and subjects it to the same developmental condition as well as correcting the development based on some known outcomes, it is possible to create a model of a past person which is very close to the original. Cool. DNA yeah, samples. Yeah, but you can't replicate every life experience. That's what they're mm-hmm. saying if you can in a simulation. Right. Mm. DNA samples of most people who lived in the past one to two centuries could be extracted via global archaeology. After the moment of death, the simulated person is moved into some form of the afterlife, like a simulated afterlife, perhaps similar to his religious expectations, like where he meets his relatives. So Mm. you could go back in time or somehow like extract DNA from someone dead extract their brain or their DNA, like their life juice at the moment of death, take it out, simulate what they would view as the afterlife because to in order to be resurrected, you have to be, to quote unquote, dead for some amount of time and then come back to life. So it's, not just a con- it's not just a continuation of life. So before mm-hmm. you die, you choose from a menu of afterlife options. Oh, I like this. Of what you believe. While while the AI, like, crafts your new body. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then it just plugs you right back in. I want it. I mean, look, if I could take my consciousness and move it into a more functional vessel. vessel. I would do it in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I would also clone my dog in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. And believe that she would come out 
pretty much exactly the same as current Josie. But mm-hmm. So this paper says, if there will at some point be technology that allows travel to the past, so time travel, then our future descendants will be able to directly save people dying in the past by collecting their brains at the moment of death and replacing them with replicas. And they would do that by sending tiny robots back in time. So just <gasps> on a... This so now we have time travel technology 600 mix. years in the future? Yep. So this A is, lot has to go right for any of this to work. This is if how we they have would time travel technology 600 years in the future, then we've got time travel technology now, baby. Now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So this is how they would do it. <laughs> A nanorobot could be sent several billion years from now where it could secretly replicate and sew nanotech with within all living beings without affecting the course of history. So, so I'm glad I know, got the vaccines. It so already that I got the little bots. There you go. At the moment I'm gonna of, get resurrected, bitches. At the moment of death, such nanorobots could be activated to collect data about the brain and preserve it somewhere until its future resurrection. Thus there would be no need for forward time travel. Cool. Don't some Christians believe that like when Armageddon comes, all the righteous will be resurrected, mm-hmm. zombie-like. And then I think there was, like, a big debate about, like, whether or not... It's already happened. People, when they were resurrected, <laughs> if they would be restored to, like, a healthy version of themselves mm. for Armageddon. Or if it would literally just be, like, piles of bones being mm-hmm. resurrected or like rotting that's, corpses being resurrected some evangelist to, shit i don't right. again i don't care because it's it's not it's not a thing yeah the rapture <laughs> right yeah no i would assume well i mean like i don't there's no answer for that because like is there a moment in your life where you are your healthiest like best self yeah or if you're a devout Christian and you believe that life begins at conception, what if there was like a stillborn situation? There's just a little 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 fetus up there because mm-hmm. that's like the best it ever was. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think they thought through all the implications. Clearly mm-hmm. not. Yeah. But anyway, I thought this nanotechnology robot resurrection shit was really cool. Yeah. Very Matrix. Yeah. So yeah. sweet dreams, and okay. uh, we might I love it. already this me. be altered by nanotechnology from billions of years in the future. There's I no fucking way to hope so. That'd be so. Well, if so, can it just make me feel a little bit better day to day? That'd yeah. be great. Thanks. Could I get just a little? I don't want to live forever. I just want to feel good until I turn into dust. Well, that's asking <laughs> too much. I don't know why you would ask for that. Yeah, it's really rude and selfish of you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, well done. I. <laughs> Apparently have a lot of feels. I don't know. <laughs> Let's don't hear. cry. Oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm angry. Let's hear a quick <laughs> word from our sponsors. <laughs> you have probably definitely heard us talk about how much we love Native, mm-hmm. all of their products. Mm-hmm. The thoughtful formulation behind all of their products is something that we have always loved because they understand that it's not just what's on the inside that counts but also, quite honestly, the outside. 
Yep. And that is why Native is releasing their deodorant that I know and love in new and improved plastic-free packaging. This is a game changer. Love it. I just got the plastic-free deodorant. I'm wearing it right now. I have the coconut and vanilla. Yum. I love it. It, Mm -hmm. like, moisturizes my pits. I have noticed like no more ingrown mm-hmm. issues Bumps. in the pits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, really lovely. And Native is doing their part to help our earth with their 100% plastic free and recyclable packaging. It's so clever. Like it looks exactly like the shape and size of deodorant, you know, it's just all in recyclable cardboard. And instead of having like a spinning bottom to push it up, you just push it up with your thumb. Like it's the easiest. It's a push pop. Yeah, it's a push pop for deodorant. It's brilliant. When you buy Native's new plastic-free recyclable package deodorant, you are saving 37 grams of plastic. Every time. Yeah, every time. That adds up so much. Native is also a proud partner of 1% for the planet and are committing 1% of their plastic-free deodorant sales to environmental nonprofits. So you're like Mm -hmm. doubling your good deed by going with the plastic-free. And just like all of Native's other deodorants, their plastic-free deodorant is aluminum and paraben-free. It kills odor-causing bacteria and has 24-hour odor protection to keep you feeling and smelling fresh. And with Native, you can choose from 10 cents, including their classic coconut and vanilla, which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, they have sensitive formulas that are formulated without any baking soda. And if you just want to go oh natural, baby, they have unscented. Yep. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love those options. Me too. So are you ready to try plastic-free deodorant? Go to nativedeo.com slash winecrime20 and use promo code winecrime20 at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash winecrime20 or use promo code winecrime20 at checkout for 20% off your first order and treat your pits. Treat them. Whether it's a warm cup of coffee, basking in warm sunlight, or listening to a sexy story, Mm. pleasure is all around us. And with Dipsy, your sanctuary is waiting. Escape into a world where pleasure is your only priority. Oh, yes. So Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories. These are designed by women. They're for everybody who... Wants to be titillated, be titillated, experience (laughs) pleasure. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters. No matter who you're into, what turns you on, they have amazing variety. They also uh, are really good about like diversity of voices Mm -hmm. um, and characters, accents. Mm. (laughs) I mean. Who doesn't love an accent? As long as it's not a Minnesotan accent. I want like sexy Minnesota and sexy Boston. Well, write in to their creators. And I I'm will. sure they will cater. I will. You can find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent. A little Hello. more palatable. 
or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. Mm. They even have stories designed specifically for your Zodiac sign. Yes. What? Love that. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they also offer written stories. So, like, if you're, you know. Trying to stay quiet. Trying to stay quiet. Mm. <laughs> quiet evening. Headphones. If yeah. you're on the subway. Mm. <laughs> it's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or keep things up with a partner. Love oh. it. Yes. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. One more time, that's dipsystories.com slash gals. And treat your fantasies. Oh, treat them. Um, okay, well, I'm going to bring us back to... A more earthly realm. <laughs> a more current Fine. time. Fine. Some more hard and fast facts. Although the person that I'm going to talk about definitely has a bit of a God complex, I think. Great. Okay. Very self-obsessed. Huge piece of shit. I thought you were going to say huge penis. No. I was very huge penis. Huge piece of shit. <laughs> I was so curious. And I was ready. <laughs> Willem Dafoe situation. Kind of kind of God. a mess, kind of all over the place. Lots of name changes, lots of geographical changes. Just buckle up. Lots going on. Okay. I'm. This is Kenyon's code for just don't ask questions. Just roll with it. Just roll with it. If you're like, wait, I thought he was in this state. No. Boom. Now he's in this other state. Deal Do we it. know that Willem Dafoe has a big dick? Yes. Oh. I've talked about this. I know, but I forget why. How do you know it's that? It's in that Lars von Trier interview after oh, he right. did Antichrist. <gasps> oh, yeah. Okay. Where the, I mean, and Lars von Trier is problematic, but he was like, I had to use a, a fake smaller a fake dick. penis <laughs> because it was so alarmingly and distractingly huge that I wouldn't feature it in the film. Let me Google it. See if there's pictures. Oh, my God. Okay. So, not Willem Dafoe, Nicholas Aloverdian was, bo was born in Rhode Island in 1987. Holy Rhode Island. According to later statements he made, his parents were abusive and alcoholic and, quote, couldn't take care of him. This Probably was true. He was removed from his home at a young age by Rhode Island's Department of Children, Youth, and Families, DCYF. Mm -hmm. And that is confirmed. That happened. And he spent most of his childhood being moved around, like, various foster homes, group homes, long-term care facilities. He had a rough start. Okay. Mm. According to one source, Aliverdian's descriptions of his childhood were Dickensian. He alleged, like, he experienced physical violence, rape, neglect, like long periods of being kept out of school, mm. you know. Rough stuff. Rough stuff. Foster care, rough stuff. Mm -hmm. Also, don't Google Willem Dafoe penis. There's a I lot will of, not. A lot of images. Now that is part now of I'm your consciousness. It. And so when you are uploaded, that will be a part of what gets uploaded. It's and part recreated. of my qu quiet, quiet, 
Qualia. Qualia. <laughs> Look at out. Amanda's face. It's I not going to be that. part of my qualia. <laughs> Keep your qualia clean. No quay, no qual. <laughs> what? <laughs> like no way, no how. Oh, <laughs> it was stupid. Okay. All right. But then when Alaverdian was uh, 14, he was hired as a legislative page in the Rhode Island House of Representatives, which I don't really know how that came about. Um, I imagine that's pretty, um, you know, tough to get that page gig. Somehow he did. Especially with that background. Yeah. Wouldn't I don't expect know. him to have like a lot of recommendations from his teachers and stuff. Right. I don't know how he did it. He he weasels his way into a lot of things. So okay. Alaverdian would later say that during this time he informed lawmakers about the abuse that he was enduring in DCYF care, but he received no assistance from anybody. But that's not quite true because Brian G. Coogan, a Rhode Island uh, representative at the time, did make an attempt to help Alaverdian. So he became close to the teenager throughout the boy's stint in the PAGE program. Mm -hmm. And Coogan was like moved by his story and he began taking action to formally adopt him, but was dissuaded from doing so by a family court judge named Jeremiah S. Jeremiah. Oh, no. Okay. No. And the judge was, like, familiar with Alaverdian's past and, like, his story. Mm -hmm. And so the judge warned this rep, Coogan, against adopting him, saying that Alaverdian will, quote, try to undermine you and turn your family upside down, end quote. My God. Ooh, creepy. He's yeah. fucking 14. Yep. Ooh, and so, that's like some the omen like Damien shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Coogan wow. didn't adopt him. So after completing the page program, Alaverdian was sent by DCYF to Boys Town in Nebraska to a center dedicated to the care, treatment, and education of at-risk children. And this facility was founded in 1917, and the original name was The City of Little Men. Okay. Ew, God. Okay, 1917. Yeah, which just sounds really horrific. So he sent to some awful boy school in Nebraska. Yeah. Later, he's transferred to Manatee Palms Youth Services in Florida. Cool. So he's being shuffled around to these different institutions. Finally, he ages out, goes back to Providence. DCYF actually doesn't send kids to this facility anymore because of the abuse allegations. So he probably mm. did suffer yeah. additional abuse. At Manatee Palms. But anyway, he's back in Rhode Island. He's aged out of care. After a handful of years, both back in Rhode Island and then also traveling around the country, he decides to move to Dayton, Ohio, and began attending Sinclair Community College and going by a new name, mm -hmm. Nicholas Rossi. <gasps> Nick I Rossi! Know. I know! Oh my God, we definitely went to high school with this person. We went to high school with a Nick Rossi. But anyway, Weird. a Blake Rossi. I know. <laughs> well, he doesn't. Said it. His also name's born in, in 1987. Mm -hmm. He doesn't look like him, though. So that's a relief. Nick Rossi did try to ruin my family, though. What? <laughs> Just kidding. He did I liked turn Nick my Rossi. Life upside down. Yeah, he was fine. Okay. So his stint at this community college was short lived, though. In January of 2008, a young woman who also attended the school went to police to report that she had been sexually assaulted. She described meeting Rossi, or Alaverdian, on campus and agreeing to have lunch with him. 
After this, he offered to walk her to her next class, but once they were alone in a stairwell, he pinned her against a wall and began groping her and masturbating. Ew. Oh, God. Jesus. When she tried to push him off, he said, quote, I'm almost done. Don't oh. be a bitch. Oh, my God. Ew, that is so fucking gross. Oh, my God. Oh, yep. Yuck. He later approached her on campus and apologized. Uh-huh. Telling her that she was so beautiful, he couldn't help it. No. Oh, yeah. It's a compliment. Take the compliment. It's a compliment mm. to assault you and masturbate to you without your consent. Well, maybe castration is something An for option. some people. And then also in the course of this not at all a fucking apology, asked her not to tell anyone. Mm. Ugh. She did, though, thank goodness, and reported it, like I said at the top. And Aliverdian, under the name Nicholas Rossi, because he must have had some sort of identity documents that he had somehow procured, because he was arrested and convicted under the name Nicholas Rossi. Okay. Of public indecency and sexual imposition and ordered to register as a sex offender. Well, wow. to get into that school, he must have had some yeah, paperwork. Yeah. So soon after his conviction, he filed a motion for a retrial based on what he claimed was newly surfaced evidence, which was a post on MySpace. Oh, here we go. Hard evidence. That yep. was allegedly written by his victim. It was not. In which he claims she is saying that she made up the incident. So he, basically he's like, look, there, she posted on MySpace and said that she made the whole thing up. I want a retrial. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Instead of going to the police or anything mm -hmm. logical. Mm -hmm. A computer forensic expert stated with 90% certainty that the post had been either altered or, quote, fabricated entirely, and the retrial motion was dismissed. So he, he wrote this post on MySpace and claimed that she had written it. Mm -hmm. For a short period of time after the Dayton assault, Aliverdian uh, studied comparative literature at a Harvard Extension program. This Ish. is not the same thing as attending Harvard. Right. <laughs> Anyone can sign up for extension classes, and the acceptance rate is 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's not like a class size, right? Isn't that like an online thing? Or Yeah, no? it's like an online thing that Harvard offers for free. You can just like follow the syllabus on your own. Mm -hmm. You're not attending Harvard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, ugh, it's so fucking, so many, oh, it's so frustrating. Anyway, it's fine. Like, ugh, okay, fine. In, <laughs> I just know a lot of people that have like done shit like this and claim that they like, went to Harvard, went to Harvard, went to Yale. It's like, no, you didn't. I took classes at Harvard. I didn't go to Harvard. The, the school that's much easier to get into that I got into has a relationship with Harvard and let me take a class there. That's what happened. Anyway. Okay. In 2012, he was administratively withdrawn from these courses when Harvard learned about his sex offender status. So almost anyone can take these classes except for convicted sex offenders. Right. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. Should make that clear. <laughs> Still, Alverdian would claim for years to be Harvard educated. Of course. Jesus. The nerve. Right. 
In 2013, Eleverdian slash Rossi attempted to sue the community college and the Dayton M- Municipal Court for, like, getting caught having sexually assaulted someone. What? And his claim was he was suing them for, quote, making serious life-altering false allegations. Oh, for fuck's sake. And he also attempted to sue his victim for libel. No. But he'd been convicted, and so both of these lawsuits were dismissed by a judge. Why are men? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is a new horror movie coming out that's just called Men. I know. I know. I'm so excited. I know. It's a new A24 movie. I fucking That sounds awesome. Okay, well, actually, very linked to the next couple sentences. That same year, he wrote an essay blaming his victim for derailing his life. Mm. And he mm-hmm. titled it My Personal 9-11. Oh, wow. my fucking God. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, that's that's good. That's good stuff. In it, he claimed that his sex offender status had radicalized him and made him into a men's rights advocate. Well, right. Yeah, it's your fault. Oh, mm-hmm. Lord. Yep. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. But don't worry. In the midst of his ongoing struggle to appeal his status as a sex offender, Aliverdian got married. Mm. There's He'd- someone out there for everyone. <laughs> I knew that would trigger Amanda. I hate it. He married a woman in November of 2010, but only six months later, she filed a restraining order against him and initiated divorce proceedings. Don't worry. His love life was still active after that divorce. Good. And in October of 2015. Consensually? (laughs) I don't know. He married for a second time. Oh, great. This marriage lasted seven months, so he got one extra month, before his second wife also divorced him. During divorce proceedings, a judge ruled that Aliverdian was, quote, guilty of gross neglect of duty and extreme cruelty towards his wife. Mm. His second wife described in court how she had met Aliverdian through the Church of Latter-day Saints when mm. he was pretending to be a Mormon. Mm. I was going to say, he really does worm his way into a lot of shit. He, Seriously. He's, he's all over the place, and he definitely was looking for, like, a submissive wife. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what he was doing. Maybe multiple submissive wives. So she alleged that he became violent towards her the day after they were married, which is actually also a very common abuser tactic, Mm -hmm. and wanted to control her appearance and confine her to the house. Mm -hmm. He cut her off from friends and family and controlled her by threatening suicide if she ever tried to leave. So just classic. Yep. All the things. Domestic violence, intimate partner violence stuff. Mm -hmm. Bingo. So he goes through all this stuff. He's convicted in Ohio. He's pretending to be a Mormon, getting divorced in Utah. Now he goes back to Providence. (laughs) God, he's busy. That's a lot. No wonder you weren't taking any questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ain't ain't nobody got time for that. Mm. No. He's back in Providence. Now he presents himself as a dedicated child welfare advocate. And he's spending much of his time lobbying local lawmakers to introduce legislation aimed at preventing the abuses that he that he suffered in the state's care, which like Mm -hmm. fair enough. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're the right figurehead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
But he did have some success at this, including getting several lawmakers in Rhode Island to propose an emergency oversight commission to monitor the Department of Children, Youth, and Families decisions. So, like, one extra step to kind of go over cases, basically. Mm. Okay. Then, in a seemingly completely unrelated turn of events, Utah County, Utah, elected a new county attorney in 2018. And this guy is named David... I don't know if it's leave it or leave it. I'm going to say leave it. Leave it. Leave it. <laughs> Just leave it. <laughs> leave it. Well, leave it wasn't going to leave it. <laughs> he was going to take it up again. So one of his priorities upon taking office was analyzing rape kits that had been languishing untested for years. Oh, my God. Ugh. So get it, David. Mm-hmm. And upon doing so, the county found that a rape kit from a 2008 assault in Orem, Utah contained DNA that was in a national database. And it was a match to a man named Nicholas Rossi, who'd had to submit his DNA as part of a 2008 rape conviction in Dayton, Ohio. Uh Uh-huh. So I don't think we knew that he was in Ohio or in Utah in 2008, but apparently he Mm. was. He just like bounced back and forth a lot. Maybe he just went for the weekend. Yeah, he could have. And the police report describes how he raped a woman whom he'd met on MySpace. No. Amanda. Who's still using MySpace I, in 2008? Why me? Yeah, 2000. Yeah, that's true. That's like four years late, isn't, isn't it? it? I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, it was around for a while. Yeah, I don't know. But. Yeah, maybe not, but. Oh, still, I, two, 2008 feels like a year ago, mm-hmm. and MySpace <laughs> feels like a century ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we still had MySpace in 2008 because it did get like changed to more of a music sharing platform, and it's gone through a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Is Tom yeah. still around? I mean, Tom is a retired now travel photographer. Really? Oh. Mm-hmm. How do you know this? Because look, I was he look an actual up, friend of yours? No, but I <laughs> like he? look into things from my past with regularity like this because I can't like not know. He's in your IRL top ten, probably. <laughs> He's on your speed dial. Yeah, get at me, Tom. It's been too long. Okay, so he meets someone on MySpace and then rapes her, and then. Years later, the rape kit actually gets tested. Great. Ten years later, the rape kit actually gets tested. Jesus Christ. That is Um, so insane. If they had tested it at the time, they would have already had his DNA Mm -hmm. and he could have been caught right away. But Mm -hmm. they just didn't test it for a decade. So that's a good use of resources. Let it sit. Just let it sit. Added trauma for the victim for (sighs) no reason. Mm -hmm. Super fun. So Nicholas Rossi had been going by yet a different name when he connected with this Utah victim on MySpace. And authorities soon pieced together that he'd been going by a slew of aliases over the past decade. We're not going to get into all of them. Mm -hmm. And that he could also be linked to police reports of other rapes and sexual assaults, all using different names in Utah, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. We've already talked about Ohio. So he's just a serial rapist all over the country. Yep. Yep. Cool. And like fraudster. Mm Mm-hmm. So this attorney, David Leavitt, later stated in an interview, quote, what we found was a trail of victims, 
but we knew that if we charged him and if that were public, we'd never find him. So they didn't want to like put out a warrant for him because he'd he would slip just away. He'd slip away, he'd change his name, he'd go to yet another state, and it'd be even harder to find him. Mm-hmm. So instead, they continued working quietly to collect enough evidence to tie him to all these various aliases and, and crimes without mm-hmm. him realizing that they'd caught on. Yeah. Meanwhile, in January of 2020, numerous media outlets around Providence, Rhode Island, reported that Aliverdian had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the reason they're reporting on his health is because he'd become this, like, well-known-ish public figure due to all of his, like, child welfare reform lobbying. Mm, fucker. Okay. I was like, do they normally publish people's right. medical histories? <laughs> well, <laughs> he, so he's kind of a well-known figure because he likes attention. Mm-hmm. But also... It seems he was the one that called news outlets and pressured them relentlessly Ugh. into reporting on his diagnosis. Oh, what a fucking loser. God. What a fucking loser. Well, at what point does he die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is he dead yet? Well, then on February 29th, 2020, an online obituary was posted for Aliverdian on a website called everloved.com. Gross. Okay. The first paragraph reads, quote, Nicholas Aliverdian's battle for life ended on February 29th, 2020. Bye. The children and families in the care of the Rhode Island Department of Children, Youth, and Families for whom he inspired and led through turbulent government transgressions have lost a warrior that fought on the front lines for two decades. I can see exactly where this shit is heading. Mm Mm-hmm. The obituaries also, that obituary was written very quickly, on, posted on the same day of his death. Mm. Oh, wow. Quick, quick thinking. It's like it was ready or something. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like he wrote <laughs> it himself. It's crazy. Wow. The obituary states that Mrs. Aliverdian was at his side when he died, along with their two children and extended family. Hmm. None of the reporting on this case mentions Aliverdian ever having had children. Hmm. And it's unclear who Mrs. Aliverdian was. Because, even is. Because yeah. it's neither of his two ex-wives. Didn't even wow. say her first name in the obituary. Yeah. Oh and so God. she is most likely a fabrication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, like, he didn't have any extended family. He was... Yeah, whatever. The obituary continues... At the time of his passing, the room was filled with the sounds of the end credits. No. What? Of what? What movie? <laughs> what did he play? It's just, he, he wrote an obit in which he fantasizes about a funeral. Anyway. <laughs> At the time of his passing, the room was filled with the sounds of the end credits for the 1997 film Contact. No. <laughs> By composer Alan Silvestri, a film Wait. and score which held special meaning to I'm Mr. Aliverdian. Looking it up. Yeah, yeah I'm see play if we can play a clip. Music. I'm gonna play a clip. Okay, are we ready? Yeah. Yes. I hope we don't get sued for this. It's just a clip. It's You're not gonna research. get sued for a, a clip. No. No. 
no! Oh no! This is so stupid. Oh, no. It's not even good. It's okay. not even that good. It goes wow, on to describe Mr. Alverdian's last words, which were apparently "Fear not and run towards the bliss of the sun." Ugh. Those were his last words. It's not even good. <laughs> God. And that in keeping with Mr. Alaverdian's wishes, <laughs> his earthly remains were cremated and his ashes scattered at sea because he had such a strong connection to the sea. Oh, yeah. did he? <laughs> <laughs> it also included a quote from Jorge O. Elorza, the mayor of Providence, describing Alaverdian as a, quote, beloved community leader whose selflessness and lifelong contributions to the residents of the state of Rhode Island have earned him the unwavering admiration and respect of many. So supposedly that is a quote about him from the mayor of Providence. Okay. okay. When the New York Show Times, me your sources. <laughs> yeah, seriously. When, when the New York Times later reached out to verify this comment, Alorza's office did not respond. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> So Alaverdian's death was reported by multiple news outlets in Providence, but some people immediately had their doubts. <laughs> his, um, his announcement that he was suffering from lymphoma had come almost immediately after he had learned that Rhode Island police had a warrant out for his arrest. Oh! <laughs> and this was for failing to register as a sex offender in the state. And also right after the FBI had initiated a fraud investigation against him. <laughs> a very convenient time to die. God, that is a the great obit, though. <laughs> <laughs> Respect. Fear not and run toward the bliss of the sun. That's mm-hmm. so fucking stupid. His last words. <laughs> okay. The fraud. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. From the 1997 film end credits. The end of of credits. contact. Okay. Okay, guy. Okay. So the fraud <laughs> investigation stemmed from allegations that a former foster mother named Sharon Lane had made that Alaverdian had opened 22 credit cards in her husband's name and incurred nearly $200,000 in debt <laughs> when, he was, when he was still like a minor in their care. Uh-huh. It's too easy to open credit cards, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Before so, you have any credit, it is like the easiest shit in the world. Yeah. And that was when he was a teenager. And mm-hmm. also probably what that family court judge was referring to when he was like, nah, uh, dude, you don't want to adopt this kid. He will he will eat you out of house and home. Yeah. Like literally. So Sharon Lane would also later describe how after the obituary was posted, Alaverdian's birth mother had contacted her to ask it to ask her to look into whether or not his death was true. I don't know if this is true or not. It's unclear like if he had any kind of contact with his birth mother. Maybe mm. he didn't, but she still saw the name and then was like wanting Curious to know and, if he was yeah. dead. So when Sharon Lane read the obituary and the many, many comments that had been left on it online. Oh, my God. <laughs> she became convinced that the style of writing in both could belong to none other than Alaverdian himself. Oh. So he had posted his own comments as other users online being like, you'll be missed. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so pathetic. <laughs> Oof. 
In July of 2020, Rhode Island State Police began looking into the possibility that he had faked his own death. Mm-hmm. One piece of evidence that he had, in fact, done so came via an unexpected source. Wikipedia. Yes. <laughs> Our favorite source. Uh, yeah, up there. He's so self-obsessed, you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Verdian, since his supposed death, had apparently attempted to edit his own Wikipedia page multiple Yo. times. No. <laughs> At one point, attempting to replace the picture of himself with the image of a different person. So that when he was Googled, they wouldn't see his face. Oh, my God. He could continue having aliases. What a dum-dum. Investigators. (laughs) Seriously. There are lots of photos of him on the drive, and he kind of has a rubber face. Oh. Like, you can tell it's him and everything. Right. But he also does look different enough Uh in each photo. He looks like a little worm. Yeah. So investigators ultimately concluded that he indeed faked his own death and that he had actually moved to England in 2019, which was before news of his cancer diagnosis Uh and death was reported to the media. Is this a picture of him and Mike Pence? It sure is. Yes. Oh, God. No. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know what event that was at. Something. Ish. Yep. So he'd moved to England then found out that there was warrants out for his arrest in Rhode Island and sure. then faked his death and like called a bunch of news outlets from England and did all of that shit from England. Oh my God, what a fucking loser. <laughs> in England, God. he married a woman, so third wife. God damn it. Fucker. <laughs> he God. married a woman named Miranda Knight and began. Miranda, no. <laughs> and began going by the name Arthur Knight. And he apparently told Miranda that he was from Dublin and spoke in a fake Irish accent throughout the entirety of their relationship. Yes. Commitment. Commit to the bit, baby. (laughs) Which, God, I love that. It's one thing to have a fake Irish accent. Anywhere else, but imagine trying Ooh, to in pull it Ireland off in in the UK. Like, <laughs> oh, there are plenty true, yeah. of actual Irish people. They know what an Irish accent sounds like. A thousand percent. I like the that only he was thing like, riskier is doing it in Ireland. Right. I like that he's like, I'm a feminist, babe. I'm going to take your last name. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hiding from the law, babe. <laughs> I'm going to take your last name. Right. <laughs> So the Holy two shit. then moved to Scotland, where Alaverdian told several people he met that he was a professor at the University of Glasgow. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> They're always a professor. Right? They all like con artists always pretend to be professors. He mm-hmm. did go to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut him some slack. Yeah, he did less than a year at community college in Ohio. Became a sex offender. Attended Harvard. Became a sex offender. Got kicked out of repeat sex offender. Harvard Online. And now he's a professor. Harvard Online. I hate him so much. I really hate him. Graduated from Havrad University. Ish. Havrad. The logo looks like really similar. Yeah. Havrad. Same colors. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's like, good. I like have rad university. I need a have I rad. Like that. I'm gonna need a sweatshirt with the crest. go big rad. <laughs> Roll tide. Roll tide. Have rad. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay i gotta oh redo my, God, my resume someone, yeah someone please <laughs> get a, to work on our fake college on our have rad have university rad fake diplomas no. <laughs> instead of like established 1633 it's like established 1936 2022 <laughs> established 1106 <laughs> oh my god okay pm pm <laughs> <laughs> So okay, so he's in yeah. he's in Scotland. He's professing. <laughs> Meanwhile, his image, fingerprints, and DNA had been provided to Interpol because mm. like investigators in the US knew that he had gone to the UK, but they didn't know right. what fucking alias he was using this time. Mm-hmm. So they provided all that stuff to Interpol. Then on December 13th, 2021, Aliverdian was identified in a Glasgow hospital where he was on a ventilator being treated for COVID-19. COVID? <laughs> Motherfucker. Oh, my God. Wow. And he actually did have COVID. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But that Holy is how they shit. figured it out. That sucks for him. Fucking COVID got him. So staff <laughs> at the hospital him. identified him by his tattoos, which had been described in the Interpol report, and he had tattoos on his biceps of a barcode yeah. and a bird wing. Oh, Ick. my God. Okay, sir. Along with scarring that indicated that he had attempted to have these removed. Mm-hmm. Don't get tattoos if you're a fucking sex offender con artist. <laughs> yeah. It's feel like the that's urge your first to mistake. To evade yeah. the authorities. If you want to well, have different mistake. aliases, don't get tattoos. Right. You can't have it all. <laughs> so he was arrested but remained in the hospital being treated. And 10 days after his arrest, he participated in a hearing via video conference from his hospital bed, which resulted in him some fucking how being granted bail. Oh, oh wow. my God. According to the prosecutor in the case, he'd been granted bail with the understanding that he would need to remain in the hospital for several more weeks to continue receiving treatment. Mm-hmm. So they were like, yeah, Grant and Bale, whatever. He, like, he's not going to go anywhere. He, like, needs to be on a ventilator. hmm But fucking unsurprisingly to literally anyone familiar with any of his history, he left the hospital the following day. Yeah. He's not going to stay. No. He's, he lies about everything. Everything. Before leaving, he apparently attempted to source a private ambulance and to source oxygen. So oh. he was like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get my own fucking oxygen. Yeah. So he really was quite ill, but he yes. just got out of there. Oh, my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then he missed a scheduled hearing in January of 2022. But thankfully, somehow, I don't know how, was rearrested and remanded into custody. Mm. So then during a subsequent hearing in a Glasgow court, he insisted that his name was Arthur Knight and he had never heard of Nicholas Rossi or oh, sure. Nicholas Alaverdian. Okay. Just, never heard of him. Never never heard of him. We just no, have identical DNA and fingerprints. And oh, faces. it's a crazy world. Must have downloaded my consciousness. <laughs> fingerprints. It was the nanorobots. 
Revoid of him. <laughs> 600 years odd. in the future, you're going to be eating so much crow. Yeah, you just wait. 2060, 20, 2060, whatever it is. 2600. 2600. You're going to be sorry. 20. So in February of 2022, there was another court hearing. There are pictures of him. He's in a wheelchair. He like wore a towel over his head. And then when he like removed the towel, he had this like wide brimmed hat on and an oxygen mask. Like a like a discount beekeeper costume. Uh, he does look really bizarre. He pulled, up. he pulled like a full Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Yeah. This hearing to try mm-hmm. to look as like pathetic as possible. A thousand oh, percent. He has a lap blanket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as of March 2022, time of this recording, the extradition process against him is still ongoing. His next hearing is in April. I I don't know. I don't know. He's in wow. Scotland. Wow. That's working on his accent. That's this guy. <laughs> so I'm just glad that he recovered so thoroughly from the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh yes. my God. He it's really, really a miracle. bounced back. It's really mm-hmm. a miracle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. So that's this guy. I cannot wait to hear what happens at his next hearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get set that Google alert, baby. And don't give this, <laughs> don't grant this guy any more bail. Okay. No, fuck this guy. Uh, yeah, he doesn't deserve any more. Bye-bye. Wow. Nice job. Thank Good you. one, Ma. Bizarre. Yeah. Mm. Great obit. <laughs> the obit was the best part. Mm-hmm. The best part. All right. Well, should we hear a word from our sponsors and then get to my case? Let's yeah. do it. Care of's personalized vitamin packs are made from a plant-based compostable film that includes wood pulp and a fermented blend of corn, cassava root, and sugar cane. So you can feel good about the impact that your vitamins are having not only on your health, but also on the planet. That's So basically, like, you have the convenience of the daily vitamin packs. You can throw them in your bag or whatever. But then they're compostable. Mm -hmm. It's so good for your bod. It's good for the planet. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high-quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month and you know that we love to not leave the house. I love convenience. It's Mm -hmm. so good. Care Of helps you keep an eco-friendly mindset throughout your health and wellness journey while also making taking your vitamins really easy and super convenient. So Mm -hmm. all you do is you go on their website, you take a short in-depth quiz about your health goals, your lifestyle, and you get personally tailored recommendations based on your answers. So you can stick with what Care Of recommends or you can change up your pack at any time. I did not have a lot of experience with vitamins before I started Care Of and they just made it so easy to understand what every single thing does, like where it comes from, what's in it. I just, I, I, I left not having any questions and feeling really confident about what I was putting in my body. Mm-hmm. They're really transparent, too, about, like, what supplements and vitamins have, like, a lot of research behind them, have been mm-hmm. around for a long time versus are, like, a little more new or up and coming and, you know, where you want to be on that curve. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to snake oil you. No. no. So for 50% off your first care of order of $40 or more, Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code GALS50 
One more time, for 50% off your first care of order of $40 or more, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code GALS50, that's G-A-L-S-5-0, and treat your wellness. Treat it. The key to consistent good hair days, using ingredients that actually benefit your specific hair. Mm-hmm. Function of Beauty makes hair care products that are 100% customizable and made for your hair where it's at now and where you want it to go. Seriously, like my hair is complex. Wild. It's wild. (laughs) I've got color treated hair. My natural hair is thin. It's fine. It's very straight. I am prone to dryness. Like my hair gets and my scalp get really dry. I also have extensions. So I'm caring for not only my own hair, but someone else's hair. You basically (laughs) need like bifocal hair care. Yeah. And Function of Beauty makes it happen for me because it's the world's first fully customizable hair care that creates individually filled shampoos, conditioners, styling and treatment formulas based on your hair now and where you want it to go. So it's founded by a dream team of engineers and cosmetic scientists. Each Function of Beauty product is individually designed to be as unique as you are. Function of Beauty offers over 54 trillion possible formulations. Good Lord. You're going to find something that works for you. It's hard not to find something out of all those incredible options. Every single one of them is vegan and cruelty-free, and they never use sulfates or parabens. You can also go completely silicone-free, which I love that option. Here's how it works. First, you take the hair quiz. It's super quick. It builds your hair profile. It helps you select five hair goals, like if you want to lengthen your hair, volumize it. If you want to get oil control, or for me, I always want to boost in Uh, like color maintenance and hydration. Mm -hmm. And then you'll find out things like, does your hair get frizzy in the winter, but then it's oily in the summer? Like function formulations are meant to be changed when your needs change. You can change with the seasons. I love that. Or like if your style changes, if you grow your hair out or whatever, Mm -hmm. you got to cater to that, baby. Exactly. Then you choose your color and your fragrance, or you can go completely dye and fragrance free. Then you get your freshly filled formula delivered straight to your door and prepare for good hair days ahead. Oh, yes. So say goodbye to generic hair care for good today. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash gals to take your hair goals quiz and you will save 25% on your first order. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash gals to let them know you heard about it from our show and to get 25% off your first order One more time, that's functionofbeauty.com slash gals to take your hair quiz and save 25% on your first order and treat your hair. Treat it. Okay, I've got a little little shorty for you today. And like, do I wish once again that I could just retell my favorite case of the woman who rose from the dead at her own funeral (laughs) and sent everyone screaming and falling into her grave hole? My favorite. (laughs) Yes, I do. But I didn't do that. Okay. (laughs) I followed the rules. I found a new case. And it's one that is not nearly as Benny Hill theme worthy, but it's still (laughs) fucking wild. What episode was that? Do you remember? I really don't remember. Like... Like funny funerals or something. We haven't done Some, that, have we? Some Ooh, wild. Funny funerals I'll, would be I'll good. find it, but I like funny funerals. We should do that. Yeah. I'm but yeah, put it on it's, the list. it's a great that case and the fucking bridge card game case are my two oh, faves. Ha, that was games gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. So good. The, the bridge game was so good. Yep. So good. Yep. 
But yeah, it's all good. So first we have to travel back to much simpler, much stinkier times, the 1600s. It was the 16s. It was the 16s. (laughs) (laughs) Not a whole ton is known about Anne Green, an unassuming woman born in Steeplebarton, Oxfordshire, England. Sometime around 1628. And you know what that means. Yes. Geography. Geography. <laughs> oh, yes. That means Amanda had to pad her notes. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Steeplebarton is east of Lower Slaughter. Oh. South of Bishop's Itchington. Uh-huh. Go get that checked out, Bishop. Uh-huh. Itchington. Oh, no. oh, my God. West of Little Horwood. <laughs> I know how the bishop got his Itchington. <laughs> and north of Hell Corner. Oh, my God. Could you imagine living I mean, in Hell Corner? Yes. I'm in it all the time. I need to move to England. <laughs> I need it. I need Hell Corner on my address. That is some solid <laughs> geography. Such good geography. Yeah. So when she was about like her late teens, early 20s, she worked as a scullery maid for a justice of the peace named Sir Thomas Reed. What is a scullery? Scullery scullery maids were typically the youngest and lowest in the ranks of like the housekeeping hierarchy. Uh, So they they, like like, emptied the the fires. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. They're emptying chamber pots and doing. And they often were like assistant to the kitchen maid. So they just did all the, like, bitch work, like, yeah. prepping. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So while working for Sir Thomas, his grandson, Jeffrey, was also living in the home. Jeffrey was a horny teen, 16 or 17 years old, and he took a shine to Anne, and as she would tell it, was, quote, often solicited by fair promises and other Amorous enticements. Right. Ooh, so a tale bet. as old as time. Yeah, he promised her the world and she let him in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they banged and she fell pregnant. Oh. This poor woman didn't even know she was pregnant until she miscarried several weeks later in the privy. Because mm-hmm. it happens quite a lot, Republican mm-hmm. legislators. Yeah, it does. Fuck you. She attempted to hide the remains, knowing what this would mean for a young woman unmarried, but she was discovered. The remains were estimated to be about 17 weeks gestation. And despite not having any idea she was even pregnant, and the fact that this was a miscarriage of a completely unviable fetus, Mm -hmm. she was accused of infanticide. So it could be Texas in 2022. Mm -hmm. Yup. Cool. Yup. Is this sounding familiar? Great. Well, too much. Fucking hate it. Her fucking boss, Sir Thomas, turned her ass in under the legality of the Concealment of Birth of Bastards Act. Jesus Christ. A legal decree passed in 1624 that basically stated if a woman is concealing the death of an illegitimate child, she had murdered it and would be tried for murder. Right. So just, yeah, there's no, Mm -hmm. no possibility of a miscarriage. Okay. And if, yeah, if, if we're basically going to try you for murder if you're if you miscarry out of wedlock is basically what that means. Jesus. So midwives and fellow maids in the household testified in court that the remains were too underdeveloped to have ever been alive. Therefore, Anne couldn't possibly have, quote, killed her newborn child. They also testified that she had felt unwell for about a month, but that like she was still working and never like she didn't know she was pregnant is basically right. what they were saying. 
Yeah, they, she didn't have any sex education. She didn't exactly. fucking know. She probably was also in denial. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and it was 15 weeks. Right. I wouldn't know. I don't know if I'd even really notice at that point. Yeah. I'd be like, wow, I feel like shit. Right. You just um, be kind of like ill. <laughs> yeah. So they testified that she had felt unwell for about a month and that her work in the home unknowingly triggered her labor. So the, in their house or like on the property was also like a grain silo where they did like hard labor on malt to basically mm-hmm. make beer and shit. Mm-hmm. So they're working as like scullery maids to maintain this house. She's lifting heavy shit. She's yeah, working her ass exactly. off. Mm-hmm. She's like churning fucking heavy wet mm-hmm. malt Yuck. and she's miscarrying and it just like sent her. So she went to the privy mm-hmm. and she's like, oh my God, what the fuck? And then she miscarries. Mm-hmm. Despite facts and expertise, unfortunately, at the time, pretty much all of these facts were presented by working class women. Mm-hmm. So it's like, OK, well, fuck you. And she was found guilty of infanticide and sentenced to death by hanging. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Yeah. And no consequences for the the horny the grandson, the grandson, the horny teen, the horny teen who coerced her mm-hmm. with privilege into having sex. Yuck. Yeah. And even if it was completely consensual, like he has no. He has power over her. Exactly. And he has no consequences. Mm -hmm. She's being hanged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For a miscarriage. Yeah. People don't realize how common miscarriage is. Mm hmm. Extremely. Mm hmm. So she was taken to the gallows at Oxford Castle on December 14th, 1650, at only 22 years old. Quote, one witness described Anne's appearance as fat and fleshy of a high sanguine complexion. What up? Fucking rude. (laughs) Also high. She bequeathed her clothes to her mother and her last words, according to another witness, condemned the lewdness of the family wherein she lately lived. Yeah. Yeah, Fuck those guys. Point some blame back at them. Yeah. She's like, fuck you, Reed. You're the reason I'm here. A thousand percent. So Anne did not want to endure a long and painful death by the noose, so she actually asked her friends and family who were present at her execution to, like, make sure to speed it up. Mm -hmm. So, like, Uh, to tug on her legs and speed up the process. Oh, my God. They did, but still she flailed. A soldier stepped in and hit her multiple times with the butt of his musket, They tugged and swatted at her like a fucking pinata for over half an hour before she finally went still and was pronounced dead by the sheriff. Oh, my God. That's what hanging used to be like because it was before, I'm pretty sure it was before they invented the, like, thing where the floor comes out. She was, like, on a bucket and they kicked the bucket, basically. Right. Or they would just, like, pull someone up Mm -hmm. and then they would... String them slowly up slowly suffocate or asphyxiate. Yep. Whereas, like, if you drop if you the drop, floor you out, break your neck exactly. Yeah. And it's Whoa. in theory, it doesn't work mm-hmm. every time and yeah. it's quicker. That is so, so gnarly. This account says, quote, she was turned off the ladder hanging by the neck for the space of almost half an hour. Some of her friends, in the meantime, thumping on her breast, others hanging with all their weight upon her legs sometimes lifting her up and then pulling her down again with a sudden jerk, like trying to break her neck. Jesus. Whereby the sooner to dispatch her out of her pain, the undersheriff fearing they should break the rope 
forbade them to do so any longer. Don't fuck with my ropes. Oh my God, that is so brutal. Can you imagine being like her mother? Yeah, pulling on her like that to end her pain. I mean, it'd be fucking horrific. It is fucking horrific. And everyone in town is just out there watching, making a party out of it. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. So she was taken. I don't want time travel. I don't want that again. (laughs) We're not going back here. We'd be fucked immediately. Which were clearly witches. Yeah. Yeah. Slutty ones. Very. She was taken down from the gallows, placed in a simple wooden coffin, and taken to the local coroner's house for uh, like storage before autopsy. Though they knew her cause of death, it wasn't uncommon for the bodies of executed, quote, criminals to be dissected for scientific purposes before burial. Yeah, it was like just a free body to poke around and, and yeah. look at. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was actually a law in this area at the time, and any person executed within a 20-mile radius of Oxford automatically became the property of the university's anatomy department, and they would host these dissections in a surgical theater for other students to watch. Mm-hmm. Cool. So the next day, Anne's body was put on a surgical table and wheeled into the surgical theater for exactly that. Mm -hmm. Students looked on and Anne's family and friends were also allowed to sit in on the procedure. These were different times. Jesus Christ. I mean, I probably would have, but. I would too. Probably want as much time with your loved one before they're buried. After that Watching them get cut apart. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to begrudge any loved one for any anything that maybe they just on, wanted to on. like keep an eye on her maybe it was like right. a protective thing maybe it's just hard to even uh, comprehend mm-hmm. well they had a real show so as the university physician took his scalpel to her chest he heard a guttural sound emerge from Anne's throat so he hadn't cut her yet he was like getting ready to do it and then oh there was like God. a burp oh uh, yeah. burp basically <laughs> Then the distinct rising of the chest as she suddenly struggled to breathe. Oh, my God. They checked her pulse, and Uh, sure enough, her heart was beating. Oh, So this was the next day? The next day. Wow. Cool. So this report said, quote, the coffin being opened, she was observed to breathe, which being observed by a lusty fellow who stood by, he, thinking to, I don't know. I don't think they're using the word lusty in the way that we perceive it. He, thinking to do an act of charity in ridding her out of the small relics of a painful life, stomped several times on her breast and stomach with all the force he could, end quote. Asshole! What the fuck? Well, without realizing it, the dude who was trying to put her out of her misery actually jump-started her heart back into a strong rhythm. Oh! Oh, he cpr So it was like doing, yeah, it was like CPR before they fucking knew what CPR was. Oh my god. Oh. And this was the late 1600s, so the first thing they did was pour, quote, hot and cordial spirits down her throat, <laughs> so like hot toddies. <laughs> then, then, then they bloodlet her. Liquor down her. I don't fucking yeah. know. This bitch needs a drink. Warm up some <laughs> schnapps. This bitch needs a drink. Have you then thought they drain about the a blood, blood orange blood. mimosa with just like a hint of Grand Marnier? <laughs> fucking A whisper of Grand Marnier. She's going <laughs> to mm-hmm. love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Open your gullet, Anne. She's we know you like week. this. She's earned it. <laughs> oh, this will get her back up and dancing. Let's go. So then they bloodlet her and then of they course. warmed. Of course. God. It's the 1600s. 
Then they warmed her back up by apparently putting her in bed with, quote, a warm woman. I want all of this treatment. <laughs> that sounds like a spa oh, day. That sounds yeah, nice. Yeah, so the woman, the woman would, she like, warm her up like and, like, rub her limbs. Massage, yeah, a cocktail, literally. A cocktail. A cocktail. And then. And bled out a little bit. And Let the bad blood out. snuggle with a woman. Yeah. So treatments continued over the next several days, including continued hot cordials, hot enemas, and tickling her throat with a feather. I didn't know what the fuck they were. Oh, my God. That sounds really nice. It's just so (laughs) Can you imagine? Cordials? Hot booze. Enema. Hot enema. (laughs) Being put in bed with a warm woman. I don't know, tickler. <laughs> I don't know. You got a feather? <laughs> Sounds like it worked. It's so, it's so classic, no. It, okay, also, it didn't work. She's just incredibly resilient. No. <laughs> it's not the tick. The tickling with a feather isn't what saved her. Oh, Sounds the like enema. it worked. It was the hot enemas. <laughs> oh my god! Sounds like it worked. Oh, have you tried so Manuka much honey? faith in the enemas. Next oh. time Corey has a man cold, just a man flu, tickle him with a feather. Just, gonna- just do this. Just do this whole treatment: bloodletting, cordials, hot enema, hot spirit. Give him a hot enema. <laughs> I'll be the warm woman. Yep. Oh my god! I choked on my own laughter. Okay. <laughs> a hot but enema. Soon- yeah. I know what'll fix you. I got it. I'm ready. But soon she was strong enough to eat and speak and move about on her own. There's a report that's like within four days she could eat an entire chicken. It's like, yeah, yeah bitch was hungry. <laughs> within four days. <laughs> there were rumors that she remembered being, quote, in a fine green meadow with a river running round it and that all things were there glittered like silver and gold. And then they're shaking in their boots because they're like, oh, shit, she went to heaven right so we shouldn't kill her well yeah one contemporary pamphlet written by richard watkins called news from the dead and there's a photo of it on the drive it's it's incredible it's so creepy refutes this it's fairly certain that she remembered nothing between her last hours in prison and her reawakening but for a fleeting memory of the hangman Hmm. but now the question was what do we do about her charges yeah are they just dropped yeah. Well, does it depends. Is that why they say hanged until dead now? I, I mean, I, it must be. But like, f- fortunately for her in this situation, the courts were like, well, she did get her punishment. Yeah. So like, we're going to let this one go and just let her live her life. But <laughs> she was actually pardoned entirely for her alleged crime and sent on her merry way. And a lot of this is because they truly believed that God herself had pardoned her and saved her life. Yeah, yeah. And like, who were the courts to defy God in the 1600s? They were like, God chose her. We can't send her back to the gallows. It's like the beginning of practical magic. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. And added bonus, Sir Thomas the fucker, who turned her in, died of a heart attack within days of Anne's botched execution. Oh, good. So while she was in the hospital getting hot enemas and rubbed by a warm woman, he died cold in his bed. Rubbed by a warm Fucker. woman. He actually died. Yep. Bye-bye. <laughs> so Anne went off to live with family and friends in the countryside, taking her coffin with her. Uh, 
and striking <laughs> up an enter. Yeah, it's hers. She took it with her and struck up an enterprise with her father to market the coffin as a tourist attraction. Oh, good for her. So they'd take a few pence to like touch the coffin and hang out with it. Oh, oh my, my God. God. God bless her. She's an entrepreneur. That is my kind of tourist attraction. Seriously, I know. I want to go. Her story was a bit of a sensation, inspiring medical pamphlets and poetry across England. And one anonymous poet wrote, quote, Anne Green was a slippery queen. In vain did the jury detect her. She cheated Jack Ketch, who I think was the executioner. Mm -hmm. And then the vile wretch scaped the knife of the learned dissector. Oh, my Ooh, God. <laughs> love that. <laughs> she was a slippery oh my queen. God. I know. I love Anne Green, the slippery queen. <laughs> so Anne Green, like I said, went on to marry and have three children, but unfortunately passed while in labor with her third, they believe, in 1665 at about 37 years old. Wow. Which, you know, in the 16s. That was kind of a full life. Yeah. She lived a lot she, in that 37 years. Two full lives. Literally. She lived and died and lived to die again. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I hope her second death was quicker than the first. <laughs> I. It was probably not great if she died in childbirth. Yeah, that's like. Probably not. Probably a pretty painful way to go. Mm -hmm. But you know what? At least mm -hmm. the second time the good lard took her. She got, you know, what's 37 minus 22. There you she go. She had that many extra years. Yep. Yep. To have some kids and go 15. live her life and make that coffin money. Yeah. That sweet, sweet coffin coin. That sweet, sweet coffin money. So that is Anne Green, the Slippery Queen. Wow. Bless Anne Green. Love it. I know. Isn't that that's so good, good? Well Jesus. done. I love that case. I know. It was short, but I couldn't not pick it. It was yeah. too good. Yeah. You had to. Jeez. Uh, I wonder. Well, it must have been something with the rope. Like the rope must have been like too thick or something. Yeah, I don't know. And it was like propping her up by the, like the chin or. Mm -hmm. There's a no really, idea. really creepy like wood cutting yeah. sketch on the drive of the scene. Like tugging her down. Mm -hmm. Hitting yeah. her with a musket. Behold, Behold God's, God's providence. Poor Is that her thing. in bed with the warm woman? Probably. Yeah. Looks yeah, like it. Probably. I think so. I love God, it. I it's amazing. I want this woman. framed in my home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Anyway, right. that's her. That's my girl. Well done. Nice work. This was a I fun know. topic, I think. So fun. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Happy yes, we will. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Cheers.